0: Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church sermon podcast. This is season two with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our new Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word.
1: Here we go, and I just like was bawling. I was like, whoa, this is so true. It's so helpful for my soul. I'm Pastor Rob, and it's great to worship with you today. Thanks for being here. And uh, I got a picture in my slides. All right, what is that? That's like public enemy number one. You know, I don't think we'll look at a Kleenex or hear a sneeze uh, the same after seeing that or experiencing that. I bring it up because it makes us sick, but we can't see it. We can see it with a microscope, um, but we don't quite understand it. Scientists are still trying to figure it out, and life marches on, doesn't it? You got to go to work. You got to go to school. You got to do chores. You got to go shopping. Um, we can't stop living just because we don't understand everything. We don't have it all figured out. That's true in the 21st century, but it was also true in 550 BC. We've been studying the Book of Daniel, and Daniel didn't have COVID-19, but he he had something. He had a vision, and it just made him sick. Not in a physical sense, but just made it just sick to his stomach. He didn't understand it, and he had to go on with his business. And I think in Daniel chapter 8, it's a good example for us of faithfulness in hardship. Faithfulness and hardship. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to your Bibles, electronic or paper, to Daniel chapter 8, starting at verse 1. We're going to walk through this text. I've got Pat Huckster is going to read for us a little bit of it, and I'll need a mic, uh, sound people. Um, So wherever we had the mic for announcements, I think it's still over there. Um, Mark's going to grab that for me. Pat's going to read for us if you want to come up here. Um, If you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 8. Daniel's the prophet. He's abducted from his family and his homeland and transported 900 miles away to an area of Iraq, raised up. And uh, it's about 530 BC, he writes this this vision down, and we're working through it chapter by chapter, so let's look at verse 1. I'm going to hold this for you.
2: In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first... And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes, and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns. Both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up at last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great.
1: Thanks, Pat. Sure. Let's pray. God, we need you. I need you. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, please you you are our rock and our redeemer our only hope of salvation you are true and good the way the truth and the life jesus we pray this in your precious name amen so we're going to let's zoom out before we zoom back in to, chap, to chapter 8 verse 1 does anyone know the pastors we we got together were like how do we capture the book of daniel in a sentence does anyone remember that sentence can anyone say it? Kings of Rise and Fall. Follow the one who reigns over all. Yeah. If you have a bulletin, I think they're in the bulletin. Yeah, on the back, there's a graphic. In the top of the graphic, it's there. I want us to say it together if you have a bulletin, just to get us in, in our head. Okay? Do you see it? All right, let's ready. As kingdoms rise and fall, remain faithful to the king who rules over all. Nice job. So kingdoms rise and fall. Why did we say this? Well, in chapter 1, Judah, in what we know as Israel today, Judah, the southern kingdom, falls to the Neo-Babylonian Empire. And then in chapter 5, you have Belshazzar and the writings on the wall, literally, and The Neo-Babylonian Empire is going to fall to the Medes and Persian Empire. In chapters 2 and 7, we get a picture through a dream and through through another dream of more kingdoms. More kings and kingdoms that rise and fall. And and it concludes with the one king that will reign forever. And the one kingdom that will never fall. God's kingdom. And that's why we came up with this. and In chapter 8. The big picture, if you're taking notes, and I, I like to take notes just that so my brain just keeps thinking like ADD all over the place, so I kind of write things down and put it down on paper. God gives us a sneak peek from time to time of things that can be really disturbing and confusing, yet our job is to continue. I think that's what chapter 8 is about. We get a sneak peek from time to time of things that are really disturbing and confusing, yet our job is to continue. Let me show you how to get there. So verse 1, let's look at verse 1. If you have your Bibles, what does it tell us? It tells us it's in the third year of King Belshazzar. Who's he? Yeah, we have a Sunday school hour. We're kind of talking, kicking around this, this, this text. Let me encourage uh, you to join us at, at 10. Mike does an awesome job. I love working with him. Him and I share an office, it, and I get a lot of insight from him. We just walked, we walked through the text, read the text. Who is Belshazzar? Do you remember him? He threw this party in, I think it's chapter five. Um, this threw this big party, a thousand lords are there, and then all these girlfriends. And he he threw so this big party, and he takes these, these holy objects that had been his daddy had grabbed from the temple in Jerusalem that, that were used for worship. And they're drinking wine. And then he, he's drinking wine. They're all drinking wine, not to the, the king of kings, but to all these gods of gold and silver and precious metals. And that's a no-no. During this festivity, this disembodied hand writes on the wall, Mene, mene, tekel parson. In my interpretation of the Aramaic, my paraphrase is, you're dead. And, uh, and that, that's what happens. That very night, God takes his life. Um, And a secondary thought, don't mess with God. I think that's what we see in Daniel. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 1 tells us that this vision that Daniel's about to have happens prior to this. Since chapter 5 is the last day of Belshazzar, if this is the third year of King Belshazzar, we know this is happening before chapter 5. So this is in, in order from what we've just experience. Same with chapter 7. Chapter 7 is the first year of Belshazzar. When is that? Well, it's about 449 BC, scholars say. 449 BC. Verse 2 tells us where this takes place in Susa. And I thought this was kind of funny. Susa, what's that? Where's that? Well, this is not the patron saint, the future patron saint of the marching band, John Philip Sousa. Um, that is S-O-U-S-A. This is S-U-S-A. And it's in the middle of a region called Elam, right there, where that red circle is. There's Susa. This is modern day Iran. So you hear about Iran in the news. That's where this is taking place, in his vision. We've heard about this before in the Bible in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Nehemiah tells us that he is in Susa in the same place, the citadel. In Esther, you might have heard of the book of Esther. Uh, it's part of King Ahasuerus' empire. He has this harem, and God raises up Esther to be the queen, and she is in Susa. So this is very uh, a familiar place. Both Nehemiah and Esther happen after the fact, about 100 years after the fact. Um, what did Daniel see? He saw a ram on the bank of a river. Not this, or this, you might think of rams, but this. Uh, this ram, okay? Um, I saw a ram, verse eight, look at, actually verse four, look at your Bibles, verse four, some of these, I won't be projecting, but verse four, I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. If we remember anything about what God's revealing in these dreams and visions, what do they, these beasts represent? Kingdoms, someone said it. Exactly, these represent kings and kingdoms. Right. And the vision goes on. Look at verse 5. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. I found this picture of a goat online. However, Daniel's goat's different. What's different about him? He's flying. It's a flying goat. What's different about him? He's a unicorn. A unicorn flying. The the, the horn's between his eyes, not on his side of his head. As I'm reading closely, you start noticing things. Wait a minute. And that's part of why this is kind of hard to read. So we're going slow. We're walking through this. The vision keeps going. Looking at at verse 6 through 8, we hear what this animal did. I'm going to have Pat come up here and read verses 6 through 8 in the next few verses. Six through eight.
2: He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. He ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. Then there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Thanks.
1: The goat was on a successful warpath. Quote, the goat became exceedingly Great. Verse 8. However, note, his success didn't last. Verse 8 goes on to say, But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And what happens next? Four horns replace it. Go to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. Now, what do you think is the glorious land? Israel. Yes, exactly. Daniel and his readers would think this is a glorious land. He's stolen from his homeland. Think of your homeland where you grew up. If you had any fond memories. You know, it's, he is, he's in his 60s right now. And he's not been back. He's enslaved in, 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 in this, this wicked king's court and, or control. He's doing his job. And it's a glorious land. It's used one other time in, in chapter 11 or three times actually in chapter 11, he's talking about the promised land. It's the land where God's temple was. It's the land where God's presence was there in a palpable way. There's the Holy of Holies in the temple. Two weeks ago, we read Daniel in in the lion's den. And why was he in the lion's den? Why was he thrown there? It's because he didn't bend his knee to the king. And instead, he bent his knee to the king of kings and he prayed three times a day. And not only that, he prayed towards Jerusalem. He prayed towards this glorious land. Now let's go back to the vision. This little horn, we learn a little bit more. It's praying in the direction of this glorious land. Look at verse 10. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts, some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. So out of the four horns came a little horn that grew to be exceedingly great. It moves towards Israel and assaults heaven and its beings. Now verse 11, it became great. This horn became great, even as great as the prince of hosts, of the hosts. And the regular burnt offerings was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. What's that? That's Jerusalem. That's the temple, and the host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offerings because of the transgress of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Who will prosper? That little horn. That little horn is going to prosper. It's going to throw truth to the ground. This exceedingly great horn became as great as the prince of the hosts of heaven. This is not good, folks. The exceedingly great horn overtook the sanctuary. It obliterated the sacrificial system of worship, the praise of God. How long is this going to last? How long is God going to permit this kind of desecration? That's exactly the question that God's angels or the hosts, the holy ones, ask we get to hear this in verse 13 and 14. Daniel's having this vision in verse 13 and 14. This is the question. And we hear this throughout the Bible. How long? They look at this horrible suffering, this injustice. How long? And this is what they ask. How long is its vision concerning the regular burnt offerings, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? How long? And then they turned to Daniel and he said to me, for 2300, for 2300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. The angels, or this host, tell Daniel this vision has a, a bookend to it. has a beginning and it has an end. It is going to end in 2300 mornings and evenings. That means the desecration of worship will end and proper praise, rightful praise, will begin at an appointed time. That's, a, that's Daniel's vision he has in the third year of Belshazzar, 449 B.C. Now, how does he process this? <laughs> I mean, we read it even today, and we're like, what is going on? This is confusing. How does he process this? And remember, this is, this is like a full uh, body experience vision. He is awake. He is seeing this with his eyes. This is real. Maybe you've had a vision. This is disturbing. What would you do if after church you had this dream of a ram and this goat and the, the unicorn flying goat? Find verse 15. Look at verse 15. See how he responds. When I, Daniel, had seen this vision, I sought to understand it. That's a good thing. God says, Jesus says in that Sermon on the Mount that they're going to do that study on, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask and you'll, you know, you'll, you'll find or you'll be, you'll be answered. Jesus invites us to seek him. Draw near to him and you, he will draw near to you. It's okay to ask God questions and maybe you have questions. What's going on? It's okay to pursue truth. It's okay. We don't need to be afraid of, of seeking after truth. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him, and we don't have to be afraid of questions. And so Daniel, he seeks to understand it in chapter 8 verse 14, and he gets an answer. Verse 15, look at verse 15. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face, but he said to me, Understand, O son of man, the vision is for the time of the end. Now someone had authority over Gabriel, who had the appearance of a man, and commands him to answer Daniel. Who could that be? Who could that be? Uh, possibly it's Jesus. Jesus. We've seen an appearance of a man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've seen a stone not cut by human hand destroy all kingdoms and rise up to become a mountain to become a king of a kingdom that will last forever. Jesus is in Daniel. This could be Daniel, or it could be Jesus. And Daniel sees Gabriel. Gabriel. Who's that? This is the first time in the Bible we see Gabriel. And we note, when someone meets a, an angel in the Bible, this isn't like some chubby, cute little angel with a, a bow and arrow making people fall in love. This isn't some like handsome man or woman with wings. These can be frightening beings of some heavenly sort. And he falls on the ground like many angels do when they or many people do when they meet these angels. He falls, he's, he's afraid, he's frightened. He goes, and 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 the Gabriel re- explains this vision. He says, "This the vision is for the time of the end." And what does that mean? If we look at this text, it's not the end of the ends, not the end times, but the, or Judgment Day. We we find out what it what he's talking about in verse eighteen and following. Look at verse eighteen. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. This word indignation is used 22 times in the Old Testament. 22 times. It's, It's used for fury, wrath, insolence. And I think it's more insolence. Whose indignation is this? It's a bad time to be under under this specific king, this maniacal king. Gabriel on, goes on to explain what this vision is, this end time is, in verse 20. He, he's going to give us a little bit about the ram, a little bit about the goat. Verse 20 says this, As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. So after the Babylonian Empire, we know, based on archaeology and history and outside documentation, the next major superpower on the scene are the Medes and the Persians. Verse 21, Gabriel explains what the goat is. It says this, And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes was the first king. Historians tell us the Greeks rose to power after the Medes and Persians, and their first king is who? Alexander the Great. Exactly. In 336 B.C., he's the first king of the Greek Empire. In 13 years, he dominates much of the world. He, I read it was up to 2 million square miles, one of the largest empires in history. The clarity and the accuracy of biblical prophecy in the book of Daniel and elsewhere, this is what PBS, Public Broadcasting Services, if you go on and say, hey, when was this written? Do you know when they say this is written? They say it's 164 B.C. Why would they say that? Well, they have some scholar say that that's what it is, 164 B.C. They don't believe that this actually happened. They call it a legend on their website. Why is that? Why is a scholar saying that? Because there's accuracy here. There is accuracy. Archaeological evidence. There is documentation historically outside of the Bible demonstrating the Medes and Persians come after the Babylonians. After them come the Greeks. And who's their first leader? It's Alexander the Great. They don't hold to understanding that there's a God or a God it, it could communicate to his creation in the future before it happens. This anti supernaturalist perspective. Is, is a bias where they aren't going to listen to another scholar or promote a, a, a biblical vision. And our church, we see the Bible is true. The Word of God is true. And when it says something happens, it happens. We believe that God exists who created the world, that He can speak to His creation. And we can trust that. And so He is able to tell the future because He knows the future. He's able to communicate the future to people like Daniel. And He did. And so we can look back and say, you know what? When it says it's the third year of Belshazzar's reign, it's the third year of Belshazzar's reign. We don't need to try to reinterpret that just because it it happens 200 years later in 336 B.C. It's quite amazing how the Bible does this again and again and again. God is faithful. God is powerful. God is true. Gabriel goes on to tell us that the Greek king, this Greek king Alexander, Will die, and after him will four other kings or kingdoms. And this parallels chapter seven. In chapter seven, um, I studied this uh, and shared a little bit up at Sawyer. Um, You have four beasts. Remember, you have the first beast, the lion; the second beast, the bear; the the third beast, this four-headed leopard with four wings, and then this unknown beast that has these horrible teeth and claws. The first one, scholars say, is the Babylonians. The second one is the Medes and Persians. The third one, this leopard, corresponds to the with four heads, the four uh, generals that that reigned after after Alexander the Great. Verse 22, as for the horn that was broken in the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. We know the generals did not have the power of Alexander the Great, who was, assassinated, or not, who was probably assassinated at, at the age of 32. What happens next? Pat, will you want to come here and read for us? Verse 23 through 26. Verses 23 through 26.
2: And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors had reached their limit, a king of a bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told uh, is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now.
1: Thanks. So Gabriel makes this clear to Daniel, at least supposed to make it clear. It refers to many days from now. And as we look at history, 200 years, it seems like more like many years. Um, the Bible says that a day is worth like a thousand years to the Lord. So God's outside of time. He can say days and it mean years, and that makes sense. Gabriel explains the tail end of the Greek, Grecian Empire, another king, another horn is going to arise. One's going to stand out. And here's a list of things that I saw here in the text. He is bold, understanding, powerful, terrifying, successful, destructive, destroying the mighty, destroying the saints. He's cunning, prospering deceit. Uh, he's prideful. He opposes the prince of princes. He deposes basically God. This little horn in chapter 7, you might remember there's this other little horn in chapter 7 who's just really bad, who makes, you know, Daniel anxious. We learn about another ba- bad little horn that grows to be exceedingly great here in chapter 8. Um, this, 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 horn, this kind of power is like Nebuchadnezzar at his worst, or Belshazzar at his worst. He'd be powerful, prideful, and blasphemous. The scholars make a direct connection as they look at the Greek empire. Which king would this be? Which horn would this be? And there's a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes um, IV, Antiochus IV. This is what one website said. In 168 BC, this is why they make this connection, the Greek king Antiochus IV Epiphanes invaded Jerusalem, captured the city, he marched into the Jewish temple, erected a, a statue to the Greek god Zeus, and sacrificed a pig on the altar of incense. Now remember, pigs were unclean to the Jews, and God commands people to only worship Him. But Antiochus doesn't care. He's making a statement with his idolatrous abomination. In fact, the coin that we have coins that still exist from his um, reign, and on it, it has a you know picture of him and his name, and it says "God Manifest." He believes he is God. In his pride, he's exalted himself above the prince of princes. We, we can look at a contemporary history, the Maccabees. Um, you may have heard of, of the book of Maccabees, the second book of Maccabees, chapter 5. I found this. It documents this guy's reign. It says, Raging like a wild animal, he set out from Egypt, took Jerusalem by storm. He ordered his soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom they met and to slay those who took refuge in their houses. There was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 to a violent death and the same number being sold into slavery. This is horrible. This is sickening. And it makes Daniel sick. Verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. And I arose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and I didn't understand it. Chapter eight ends. Kind of like, you know, chapter chapter seven ends, and he's his face, he's alarmed, the face turns color, and he seals up, you know, seals up the word. Here's here he's overcome with just sick. I'm sick of this. This is horrible. And I don't get it. He's supposed to understand it. He doesn't get it. He's confused. And I think there's a lesson for us. What is that? The vision reminded Daniel that things are going to get tougher before they get easier. And maybe life is like that for you. Things get tougher. (laughs) You hear some people say, you know, if you just do the right things, it's going to go work out, but it doesn't. Things are getting tougher before they get easier. How does that help? Daniel trusts God. We know where his life is, his trajectory is going, right? He is trusting God in the midst of the the lion's den. He trusts God, even in difficult times. Remember, Gabriel told Daniel that Apatiochus's reign would end but it's not by human hand. Uh, one scholar, uh, a commentator I read, this gal, she, she, I think she just nails it. This is what she says. This fact that he sees this, this fact is an indication that we are being introduced to a reoccurring historical phenomenon. The clever but ruthless world dictator who stops at nothing in order to achieve his ambitions. You insert that maniacal ha 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 The book proclaims that such rulers cannot ultimately succeed. Though they talk and act big and though they cause great suffering to many, their end is sure. So what does Daniel do with a sure end? Look closely at verse 27. I like this. He went about the king's business. Now what king was this? Whose business was this? This is Belshazzar. Belshazzar never gets it. Daniel isn't in a position of prominence. He just goes about the king's business. And maybe you don't like your king or your past king. You go about your business. He goes about his business. Was was this a Democrat king? Was this a Republican king? Was this a socialist king? Was this a libertarian king? This is a bad king. This is a bad king and he went about the king's business. He doesn't remember Daniel. He served in obscurity. He served faithfully. He didn't complain. He didn't resist. He didn't protest. He didn't start a smear campaign or coup. He worked. He was faithful. Friends, we have it so good if you compare it to those in Afghanistan, right? Or Hong Kong or North Korea, Nigeria. He was faithful. He didn't have it so good. Where is your hope? Let's press forward with our faith. I just want to share one more quote. 550 years after Daniel experiences this, and 150 years after Antiochus is put down, not by a human hand, we get Gabriel to speak one more time to us in our Bibles. This time he speaks to a young teenage girl in the Middle East with an explanation and a prediction that relates to Daniel. And this is what he said. Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Where's your hope? What makes you sick? What questions do you have? Run to our heavenly father, the king of kings, and Lord of lords, who invites us to draw near to him, not just on Sunday morning, but every day. In the beginning and the end of our day, let's run to Him. Let's go to Him and seek to understand and go about our business. Let's pray. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God, sometimes we don't get it, it's not easy. It can be sickening. I pray that you meet us, whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our loneliness, whether it's in our workplace or school where we just need help. I pray that you'd help us. And when we don't even want to follow after you, we were struggling just even to want to want to follow you, I pray that you'd you'd just stir up in our hearts the desire to follow after you. Thank you for Daniel and his example for being real with us about how sick he was of this evil that he predicted or you you showed him. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. And thank you that you will, that you don't leave us or forsake us, that you are with us and where two or more are gathered, you are in our midst. You are here by the power of your Holy Spirit in our midst. So as we praise you, I pray you just continue to fine-tune our hearts that we would reflect you like solar panels, reflecting the sun and, and just enjoying who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.